My name is Augustin Passon, and you are listening to Magnolia Tree's podcast all about ethical leadership. Together with Sabina Gromer, the founder of Magnolia Tree, we leverage our network of inspiring individuals from all walks of life to learn from their experiences about leadership. Our goal is to spark thinking on ethics and leadership one podcast episode at a time. I invite you to join me on my journey of personal growth, and I look forward to learning more about leadership alongside you. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the very first podcast of its kind. I'm here with Ramakrishnan today. Hi there. <laughs> um, and uh, before we get started, I'd like to introduce her. Uh, Ramakrishnan has spent most of her adult life uh, studying and developing techniques to calm the mind and train it to be fit companion for the journey of the spirit. Uh, in 2000, she began teaching others her unique practices. She is the founder of the Full Bloomed Lotus Center for Self-Awareness um, in Chicago. And there she works with groups and individuals and collaborates with like-minded teachers. She leads others in meditation, lessons in self-awareness, book discussions, and private counsel. Uh, trained in India as a CPA, she left that career to pursue her interest in meditation. In 2012, Rama completed two-year certification program in analytical psychotherapy from the Carl Jung Institute in order to deepen her understanding of the human psyche, and now incorporates this knowledge uh, into both her work and personal life. In 2018, she founded Grow Through Mindfulness, uh, a non-for-profit dedicated to changing the world by approaching life from the inside out, teaching local children in schools, corporate teams, uh, and nonprofit partners to cultivate empathy and compassion, resilience and self-regulation, and inspiring them to thrive. So thank you so much for coming on the show, and I'm looking really forward. So with that, let's get into the first question. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Rama, what is your definition of ethical behavior? You know, ethics for me always a central component of it is mindfulness because I got into this whole journey. Even my, uh, you know, my first business venture was uh, to create a center for self-awareness. So when, whenever I talk about anything, the first component always comes into mindfulness. So when I think of ethical behavior, ethical anything, I think the first important thing is knowing where one is coming from. Knowing where one is coming from is, I think, the cornerstone of ethical behavior. Then, of course, in addition to that, there is the other things of honesty, um, you know, integrity, hard work. And one of my teachers in India, I remember him giving us this advice. Uh, it's part of our spiritual training, and I haven't forgotten it ever. He always said, don't focus on being good, because then you will lose your way. Focus on being appropriate. And that's something I've always kept as an important definition of being ethical is knowing in every single situation what is appropriate in this situation. Because what's appropriate yesterday may not be appropriate today. What's appropriate here may not be appropriate there. So being aware of oneself, willing to work hard to know what is appropriate and having the integrity to do that, these would be ethical leadership behavior. And um, I guess kind of continuing on that, would you, how would you look at appropriateness? Would you, as kind of like an exercise, what would you do to trying to find what is appropriate in a situation? I think appropriateness, uh, one would determine in understanding what are the ramifications of any particular thing. Yeah. You know, like I say, honesty is the best policy, but sometimes, you know, your honesty could be hurtful. In, in the same way, kindness is a good thing, but how much kindness and what are the different ways of being kind? 
So appropriateness requires us to take a principle and apply it to a particular scenario. Right. And I'm hearing in that kind of like a balance, finding a balance in things. Yes. And a balance is always a very interesting word because, you know, when I was younger, I would think balance is like a midpoint, you know, five yeah. inches from here and five inches from there, somewhere in the middle. But now I realize that that again puts another new definition. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, which, was yeah. My, which was my teacher saying, don't do that. Mm. Sometimes you might have to bring, if suppose something is completely out of balance, you cannot be balanced. You need to go to the other extreme to bring about balance. Right. So it's a moving point, really. Yeah, I think that's really wise. <laughs> um, and I guess kind of moving on to the next question, how would you kind of bring that understanding of ethics into ethical leadership? You know, I have uh, been um, leading groups for so many years, and I have found that the way to do it is probably to really know that every group is so different. And understanding the group dynamics in the particular situation, who are the people, what are we trying to do here, that requires us to be, and that's where you know mindfulness comes in, because mindfulness is you train your mind. You just kind of train yourself over and over again to be present in the moment and to get in touch with like testing the temperature, you know, every single group meeting, every single group that comes together, you as a leader require, you know, yourself to be present to that particular group and that particular uh, challenges in that particular situation and to apply it in that context because as a leader, the more important thing is not doing the work as much as providing direction, managing the interactions within the group. Work gets done. Work always gets done. That's not the big thing, but it is uh, arriving at it more effortlessly. And that can be done when one navigates it consciously. And I guess uh, one thing I'm realizing now is I've had a lot of exposure to mindfulness secondhand through my mother. But I think some people who might be listening to this might not have had any exposure to mindfulness and might not have participated in any mindfulness uh, meditation. So I was wondering if maybe you could give like a short exercise or an introductory exercise for people who maybe haven't had any experience being mindful or or meditating. Definitely. I think that mindfulness is basically um, an attitude you develop or you train your mind to be present in a way that's not at all judgmental. And a simple exercise is, you know, one of the things that we teach in schools for even young children is that that's what we teach in schools and in organizations is how to be present in this particular moment, in this particular moment. And a simple exercise is just, you know, can you follow your breath? And when you start to anchor yourself in your breath, you know, breath is supposed to be the part of us that is most neutral. Think about it. Your body will tell you if you like or dislike something. Your mind will have its own opinions about right and wrong. But when you look at the breath, the breath is the one that has no opinion. It comes in and goes and all the day. So one of the simple exercises that one could do is to simply follow one's breath. Because when we follow our breath, I often talk about, you know, how when you're driving, if you look right, and when you're driving, do you notice how your entire car, every vehicle, if the part, yeah. start to veer towards the right. When you look left, it starts to veer to the left. It's the same thing with our whole, you know, mind, our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts. Most of the time, it is either veered left or right. But when we start focusing on the breath, it's almost like 
the entire vehicle of the mind, the body, the intelligence starts to veer to the center, yeah. to neutrality. And that's the you know primary exercise that helps us to become more mindful, which means more neutral. Oh, that's fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> and I guess continuing off of that, when you think about applying your mindfulness and have you had any experiences where you felt like you've really successfully applied that mindfulness to a leadership role and maybe any scenarios where it hasn't been successful? And what have you, what have you learned from that? Yes, of course, you know, successes, there have been plenty, um, I think you know through your mom that, you know, last year and this year, two years in a row, we brought about mindfulness to the entire District 35 here um, on the North Shore. And that really required a team of so many people. Yes, thank you. (laughs) It was a lot of teamwork. It was a lot of teamwork. And I think that it was because of very good leadership um, that people were able to. It's not just, as I said to you, it's not that you don't get the work done, you will get the work done. The problem, the thing is when in good leadership, I want people to be content. I want it to, uh, to create a, uh, you know, healthy camaraderie uh, cooperation. And it went, went so well, I would definitely uh, think of that right away as a success. And <laughs> failure, yes, I, I have, you know, in one of the groups that I, I was leading, I, had this person who was so disruptive to the group, but I was operating from my, and that was the lesson I learned. I was always wanting to be a well-loved leader. So wanting to please people. And so before I knew it, this person had caused a lot of damage. It was not that I did not know. I knew from inception that this person was trouble. But I did not take action because of my need to be popular and well-loved. And um, so I learned that one of the important things as a leader is you have to be unattached to popularity. And you have to learn to put boundaries and, you know, you seal those boundaries. And it, it took me quite some time. It was only when her behavior was really out of line that I stood up and said this will not happen but i just wish i had done this sooner and i think now i had learned that lesson no i can i can definitely relate to that i definitely have that same kind of people pleaser personality yeah. where you, you want everyone to like you and you want to be someone who's a positive force and it's hard to sometimes crack down and be that that confrontational person um, yeah. but it's a skill that needs to be developed <laughs> It, it definitely is a skill that needs to be developed. And, you know, uh, because I have been doing mindfulness and meditation and trying to teach compassion, it can very often get v- very challenging because you're trying yeah. to exercise this muscle and that muscle looks very different. Then how would you suggest kind of from your own experiences with that, finding that middle ground of where you are still being compassionate, but you, you have that firmness? Yeah, you know, one of the things that really helped me was, so in one of the books I was reading, so Pema Chodron, you may have heard her name. She is a Buddhist nun and a writer, and she has written many books on um, mindfulness. And at the time that I was having this difficulty with this person in my group, I was also reading this book by Pema. So I think I always believe that there are no coincidences that you're reading something that you need. Yeah. (laughs) And she was talking in that book and I came across this expression that has so been helpful. She talked about compassion and idiot compassion. 
<laughs> you know, and when I, the minute I read the, that idiot compassion, I just chuckled. But I yeah. knew exactly what she was talking about. Don't mm. fool yourself into thinking you're being compassionate, because you are really being in denial, and yeah. denial is not compassion. It is you trying to look out for yourself. It's neither compassionate to yourself nor to the other person. So to understand true compassion, you realize it's not about appearances. It's yeah. not about popularity. It's about being honest and having integrity and knowing that the kindest thing I can do to another person is to tell them the truth and say it in a honest and you know without any judgment manner. But do not step back from being absolutely honest. Yeah. So that's compassion. No, I think that's a, that's an excellent example of what it means to be ethical in your leadership. And I guess, what do you think makes that so important? Like finding that ethical aspect of leadership, as opposed to maybe like more traditional forms of leadership, which might, I would say would probably suggest a more aggressive <laughs> method of, of dealing with something a little more. Yeah. You know, as a leader, uh, you are, there are many things here. First of all, I think that every decision we make, every conversation we have, it impacts us. It impacts who we are and it impacts the group. People are watching you, you see. And for days after this happened, I kept getting messages from other members who were there who complimented me and said how inspiring it was for them to watch my struggle. I was very transparent at every stage. And people said, we learned from you that sometimes it is so that a leader is not just a leader. It's also you are being a teacher. You are sharing with the world. You are setting an example. And as an organization, it is impacting the energy. I really believe that, you know, the person, you, you uh, one of my teachers in India, he would say, I can't hear what you are saying because your energy is speaking so loudly, you know? So our energy speaks loudly, which is not some woo-woo kind of thing. It's more like your entire being yeah. um, ha- speaks in non-verbal ways. And the aura, this, I guess, that you put off. Aura, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in non-verbal ways, you are communicating to the community you are leading who you are, and that helps to bring the best out from them. And the organization, so it's it's like in the short run, these methods may be good, but in the long run, they are not going to be giving you benefit because you're not going to have people who uh, adhere to that same high standard. The organization's quality drops when people are doing things mindlessly and irresponsibly. Yeah. And the, what would you say are the benefits to having that healthy organization? Like, I, I, I know there's a lot. <laughs> Maybe well, is there anything you specifically notice when you cultivate something like that with, uh, among your coworkers? I think it's credibility. Or? I think it's credibility. You know, you bring build credibility as a person. You build credibility as an organization, and when you deliver a product to you know the schools or something. From the, the quality of interaction that we have between us, they know. So over the years, you know, it's going, it, it's, I'm in my 20th year of starting my business. And I know that people have told me that when something comes from you, we trust it. Yeah. You know, when you tell us to read a book, we'll read it. When you tell us, so people like the recommendation. So that credibility yeah. makes for, you know, a successful business. And I feel that there is no substitute for the credibility of an organization. Oh, 
I've personally experienced a lot and interacted with a lot, unfortunately, organizations that don't cultivate their cut of, uh, that, that credibility and you end up feeling very unheard. And as you know, a member of that organization, you feel like you aren't necessary or that you aren't able to kind of communicate in a very real and a very human way with your bosses and, and with your fellow coworkers because you're scared of ridicule or you're scared of, you know, just being dismissed completely. Um, and I think you really hit the heart of it, which is that credibility, it just compounds benefits because you end up with a bunch of people who not only are they willing to listen to you and follow what you're going to say, they're also going to share with you their honest feelings about, uh, about what's going on. And that's really, I think, a healthy and necessary thing for not just an organization, but for relationships, for um, friendships, for, you know, marriages, anything pretty much. Pretty much, because I, you're absolutely right. When I think about leadership, I don't think only leadership in the context of a business. As a family, you know, in a family, I am a leader of my family, yeah. you see, in every relationship. And it just, I think we have come away from those times when people did this mindlessly, because I think we've learned some lessons that in the long run, your sustainability depends upon your credibility. And that depends upon your integrity and, you know, the ethics with which you conduct your business. Yeah, absolutely. In life. Um, well, I guess I'll move on to my next question then. <laughs> um, what is something that uh, the audience doesn't know about you, but they should? Oh. A little twist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I spend a lot of time with myself every day. Mm. You know, I spend a lot of time cultivating. Uh, I feel like uh, I think of myself as a gardener, but except I'm not gar gardening outside. I, I'm, in fact, I have a black thumb as far as <laughs> <laughs> that is concerned. But I do think that I'm a very intentional gardener of what happens in my mind. So uh, it is a, something that I hold very close to my heart of making a, a decision every day to do some gardening of what, what, what weeds have, have come up today between from yesterday to today that I need to weed out of myself and what new seeds. And every day I observe, meet people and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my groups and in the classes and I'm always looking whether it is um, a program on television. I see some, you know, some program. I'm always looking for what is there in another person that I can take a seed off and plant in my garden. You know, right. who inspires me today? How can I make my uh, own inner world a little richer than it was yesterday? Yeah. And so I'm guessing that you, you pull from a lot of different sources for that. But do you have any recommendations maybe for books, movies? or TV shows that people should should keep an eye out because you think they, they are really beneficial? Well, there are so many books. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> books, of course, is the Bhagavad Gita, which mm. I refer to all the time. But, you know, when we talk about ethical leadership, there is one book that I love and I refer to all the time. It's called the, it's by John Hyder, H-E-I-D-E-R, and it's called The Tao of Leadership. And it's a very good book because he, he takes the Tao Te Ching and then he takes from that book to bring into practical applications um, the applicability of those teachings into the realm of leadership. 
Right. So that's a book that sits by my side and, you know, I refer to it all the time. And along with the Gita, I would say these are the books that inspire me on a regular basis. In, in my on role the flip side, what, what, what might you be cutting? Like what sort of weeds do you think it's, it's healthy to, to be considering every day and to, to be trying to remove? Oh, oh there's plenty. Of <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of weeds because... On a daily basis, I think of the thoughts that limit me, mm-hmm. you know, the thoughts that limit me. And there is a quote by Pema Chodron again, where she says, karma is your life giving you all the lessons you need to learn to open up some more. So I, I, I live by this quote. And every day I ask myself, because every day there are some challenges, some things, and I ask myself, what limiting thoughts do I have? That is the primary weed. When I limit people, when I limit my expectations from people, when I limit my expectations from my life, when I limit the possibilities in myself, those are basically the categories of weeds that I have to come back again and again to, no, we can do this. No, we can expect this. No, let's start start over. So It's phenomenal. Yeah, I think... You know, that's that's something that I found is really beneficial to me, too, um, is always been kind of I found in my own personal life that when, when stuff tries tends to get out, out of hand, it tends to be little things that have built up over a long period of time and turned into a larger, more present issue. And I think when you address those problems immediately and no matter how small they are, it really helps um, from those, them springing up into a more long term issue. Totally. That's exactly what um, I'm, I'm trying to say. And you know what? When I was younger, I did allow, you know, uh, the weeds to become trees. And then had, and that's why this about 15 years ago, I had some very big issues in my life. And then I thought, okay, from now on, it's not once a week. It's not once a month. It's every day. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think that's great advice. I could take that advice. <laughs> I think I definitely have a couple of trees I need to chop down. <laughs> yeah, because we, you know, we, we, you know, fear before we know it, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it becomes so difficult for us to confront something. Yeah. No, I think that's really solid advice. Um, I guess uh, the next question I have then is, is kind of on the same trend of talking about everyday activities. What what are you doing every day to make the world a better place? What are you pursuing to to try and add value in the world? And I know a little bit about it, but I'd like other people know more. You know, I do a number of things, but it, uh, because of the pandemic right now, we are in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm right. not doing many of the things that I was doing. You know, we were with Growth Through Mindfulness, we were doing this food rescue with the, you know, Trader Joe's where we were picking up the food and giving it to a homeless shelter. We did that without a break for, you know, it was every Sunday that we had this agreement for two years without a break. Every Sunday, our volunteers were picking up the food, you know, so there was a lot of good things we were doing in the world outside. But now with the pandemic, uh, many of those things are not possible. So, so I continue to do my work from my computer and I begin to see that, you know, sometimes the greatest thing you can do for the world is to be, you know, to be the change that, that you wish to see in the world. Yeah. Be the change, become the change. 
So I think that more and more, I've, and as, as I continue to teach these techniques to people and during the pandemic, I have created so many different programs because people are in a pandemic, you know, and so many people have reached out to me and said, you really are carrying us through these very difficult times because you're teaching us ways to be with whatever is challenging us because, you know, kids are at home, they're homeschooling, husbands are working from home. There are so many families with a lot of tension. And if I can, with these ticks that I'm teaching them, you know, the conversations we have in our, you know, we call it Sangha, Sangha is spiritual community, in your, our spiritual community. And when they come back to me week after week and say, this week went so well. Uh, we have created a wonderful routine. We have learned how to talk to our kids. We are talking to our husband in a certain way. I feel that, you know, if I can carry four, five hundred families, <laughs> you know, during the yeah. pandemic, I think we are doing pretty well. No, I totally agree. Uh, I've personally found that, you know, the pandemic has been really hard in the same manner because it feels like a lot of the ways that we were getting value and feeling valued and meaningful on a daily basis just suddenly disappeared and we're locked in home. We're stuck on our computer screens and it's hard to get that same feeling of, you know, human interaction and helping another person face to face. It's just not there. So do you have any suggestions for people on, on ways that they might get engaged on and they can feel like they're doing something meaningful or do you think that like you said earlier it's you know you are the change that you want to create like pursue that regardless of maybe I'm answering your question for you and as the interviewer I shouldn't do that (laughs) but I think you answered the question and it is the truth because right now you know I can't we can't really be recommending to people to do this or that but I do believe and this is no um this that the work that one does within oneself is no less important or powerful or potent as the work that is done outside you know in in this culture especially in the west it's so extroverted that people don't look within they only think that change has to come from doing work outside and i feel that the whole world right now being in a pandemic is really pointing us to go within and do the work inside, the gardening that I'm talking about, you know, connecting with oneself at a deeper level. And uh, the teamwork that we can do right now is the inner team. Mm. You see, there is a team inside of us that we need to gather together and make, you know, find peace within us. And with more people becoming more and more peaceful, who knows how the world might change when the pandemic is over. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for answering all of my questions up to this point. And uh, my last question for you before you go is, uh, what are you working on right now? Do you have any projects you'd like to share that you'd like to talk about that you think uh, people deserve to know about? Well, right now, in addition to uh, so what I have done during the pandemic is because I have wanted people to you know, feel a sense of community. I created these 21 day packages, you know, where every day, so we package that right now I'm in the middle of 21 uh, gems from the Gita. So, and before that I did 21 goddesses from different cultures. Before that I did 21 meditations. Then I picked 21 books that, that inspired me. So I'm creating these packages of 21 days so that anyone who would like to commit to a daily regimen, because I have found that when you, commit to a certain regimen 
and do it every day for about 21 days, it really brings about deep shifts. So yeah. that's one thing I'm working on. The other thing I'm working on is finally sitting down to write a book. Oh. So I've just started working on writing a book and uh, slowly, it is going very slowly because there's a lot of thinking that needs to happen as to, you know, how uh, the teachings can really um, impact people's lives and bringing it in a way that's both personal because I don't want to make it coming. I don't want to talk from a pedestal. I want right. to talk from heart to heart. So it means it has to be honest, vulnerable and personal on one hand yeah, and inspiring and, you know, uh, sharing wisdom on the other. So that's the project that I am working on. Hopefully in the next, I don't know, six months, one year, there should be a book. Yeah, well, I'm I'm really impressed that you've gotten started on that because I <laughs> I personally have my senior thesis, which I am uh, supposed to be working on, and that's only that's only about thirty pages, and I haven't gotten it finished. So we'll see how it goes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, and thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. You, uh, I've learned a lot, and I think a lot. It's a really valuable thing. So thank you so much, Rama, and um, have a wonderful Welcome. day. Thank you for the opportunity. It is a pleasure. No problem. All the best. You've been listening to the Inspiring Brave Leaders podcast by Magnolia Tree. This is Daliana Eliesh, the editor of the podcast. Feel free to reach us or visit our website for more bursts of inspiration around leadership. You can find a link for our website and our social media platforms in our bio. Thank you for tuning in.